Hi, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're playing an archive show that was originally heard on January 18th, back in 2016. And I hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. tell you about it in a minute but he he is i've never seen him this upset hi everybody this is bob bro welcome welcome to boomer boulevard this is the show where we play old-time radio shows and we actually remember because we're baby boomers these shows where most of them were played in the 50s some of them we might remember more from television than from radio but nonetheless we are familiar with these because we are baby boomers So that's what we emphasize on our show, and we also try to get really good, high-quality sound recordings uh, before we play them. So I hope you enjoy what we have lined up tonight. We have a really intriguing episode of Escape. We have a very funny episode of Our Miss Brooks, and then we're going to follow things up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, with a great story on gun smoke. And all of this is going to get started, and I'm going to tell you what Chester's mad about in just a minute. Chester has been watching that Netflix documentary, Making a Murderer. The whole country's talking about this, right? And he's watched all 10 episodes twice now. And he is pretty, pretty upset. What? Yeah, he's, he's, he's in the control room there just really... <laughs> he doesn't feel like justice was done. Let me put it that way. What did you say, Chester? Hang on a second. Open your mic up. I want everyone to hear what you said. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. 
I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Told you he was upset. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Man, he is... He is really upset. I wouldn't want to be that, that DA up there in Manitowoc County in, in Wisconsin if Chester is ever driving through. Oh, that, well, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess that's really something, you know. Everyone, everyone's talking about this. It's like the whole country's watching it. And Chester, I've just never, never seen him get upset. All right, let's get into our first show tonight, and it's an episode of Escape. Somehow I thought that was a good song to introduce escape. You know, somebody going down the rabbit hole and getting all confused and bewildered and not knowing their way out. Well, that sort of describes our story tonight. This is a story that was based on a short story by Robert Hitchings, who was an English journalist and novelist and short story writer who lived between 1864 and 1950. And it's, this is a very popular work of his, and they really did it justice here on Escape Tonight. The name of it is How Love Came to Professor Gildea, and it was first heard on CBS on the 2nd of, no, excuse me, on the 22nd of February, 
back in 1948. Worried about income tax? Wonder if spring will ever come? Want to get away from it all? We offer you escape. study, listening to the idiot gibberings of a parrot, and beside you, caressing you is an invisible thing, a loathsome thing from which you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to the west end of London, to a little house just off Hyde Park, where lived a man who didn't like people. Tonight we escape in the remarkable tale of Robert Hitchens, how love came to Professor Gildia. said that no night ever passes over London town that sees not some strange and curious event, some occurrence too incredible to bear repeating in the light of day. How horribly true are those words. It's been over a year now since the night I first met the amazing Professor Gildia. I had delivered a sermon at the rectory of St. Swithin in the East End and was passing through the foyer in departure when I was accosted brusquely by an odd little man, remarkably sharp-featured, his face adorned by a pointed black goatee. Pardon me a moment, please. I believe you're Father Murchison? Yes, that's right. But I don't think I've had the pleasure Perhaps of... you've heard of me. My name's Gildia, Professor Gildia. Gildia, why, yes, you're the famous psychologist. Yes, yes, psychologist, biologist, anthropologist, philosopher, and that takes care of that. Sir, I never attend religious services. <laughs> it appears you've done so tonight. I came for one reason, to hear you. Find out why an otherwise normal colleague of mine thinks you're the most convincing speaker he's ever listened to. And did you find out? No. Your talk was intelligent, logical. Therefore, it could never convince anybody of anything. <laughs> Thank you. You're a direct man, Professor Gildia. No time to be anything else. I'd like to have you dine with me, Father Murchison. Say a week from tonight, 7 o'clock. I live at 100 Hyde Park in the West End. Uh, can't we make it two weeks? I'm preaching at St. Saviour's that night, just round the corner from the park. And I'm afraid it'll have to be nearer 8.30 than 7. The service isn't over so well. Uh, we can't even agree on a time for dinner. Very well, 8.30, two weeks. Uh, good night, sir. <laughs> Perhaps if I had known then what a... But no matter. I kept the appointment, of course. It was on such a night not long ago that the thing began. Gildia had seemed uncommonly nervous since dinner and had spent much of the time pacing in front of the windows that faced the park. Confound it, Murchison. I, I can't seem to relax tonight. I uh, ever feel a completely unaccountable presentiment, uh, a sense that something remarkable was about to happen. Oh, yes. And usually it never did. 
Turned out to be the effect of too much coffee. coffee no, it's not coffee. that. Coffee doesn't bother me. Nothing does. Well, then suppose you stop pacing the floor and sit down. You're wearing me out. Wearing me out. <laughs> wearing me out. Have you noticed how well Napoleon's learned to imitate your voice? Yes, and it's almost insulting at times. Mm. The worst thing is feeling such a strong compulsion to do something which I know to be ridiculous. Exactly what is it you're talking about, Gildia? Ah, foolish even to mention it, uh, but I, I wonder if you'd pardon me for a few minutes. Oh, why, of course. Uh, help yourself to more coffee. I, I'll be right back. Bye. Goodbye. I walked over and stood stroking the feathers of the parrot through the bars of his cage. I'd grown rather fond of the ugly bird, but it always startled me to hear him mimic some phrase of mine or Gilia's. Napoleon. Napoleon. <laughs> You're a true creature of the devil. Creature devil, creature devil. I happened to glance out the window toward the park across the street. The arc lamp at the corner threw a dim gleam across a bench set just inside the paling. And I was surprised to see Professor Gildia moving about the bench, peering under it, behind it, staring into the shadows nearby. He kept this up for some minutes, then crossed the street and came back toward the house. In a moment I heard him ascending the stairs. Father Murchison. Has anyone entered this room since I went out? Why, no. You mean pitting, of course, but he hasn't been in. Oh, strange. I, Very uh, strange. I, I saw you across the street in the park. What were you doing? I thought I saw something. Wondered what it was, that's all. Did you find out? No. What's wrong with that parrot? Never made a sound like that before. What do you mean, he seems all right? Napoleon, stop that. What was it you thought you saw? Nothing. As you said, it... Most likely it was the coffee, only I'm very much afraid that... No. In this day and age, it's, it's impossible. It was nearly a week later that I received a phone call in my quarters at the rectory. Father Murchison here. This is Pitting, sir, Professor Gildy's man. Oh, yes, Pitting. How are you? Very well, thank you, sir. The master would greatly appreciate your calling at the house this evening, if it's convenient, sir. Oh, anything wrong? I couldn't say, sir. But why didn't he phone himself? He isn't ill. I think not. He suggested eight o'clock, sir. May I tell him you'll come? Yes. Yes, by all means. Tell him I'll be there at eight. <laughs> Beating about the bush, Father Murchison. I, I am nervous. Of course I am. Plenty of reason for it. You're working too hard. Now I'm working too hard. The other night it was coffee. As a matter of fact, it's neither one. <laughs> be, be quiet, Napoleon. Maybe you'd better tell me what is the matter, Gildia. Do, do you feel the presence in this room of anyone beside the two of us? <laughs> well, there's Napoleon, of course. <laughs> no. No, I don't mean the parrot. He senses it too, though. Senses what? When you were here last week, I left the house for a few minutes, you remember? Yes. I'd been watching someone sitting on that bench across in the park, a, a shadowy sort of figure. I had to find out what it was. But you found nothing. You told me when you came back. That's right. But I'd left the front door open. And when I came back in, I felt suddenly that someone or something had entered ahead of me. Oh, now, really, Gildia. I knew also that they'd found their way to this room. But I was here all the time. No one came in. Father Murchison, 
Whoever or whatever came into the house that night came into this room is still here right now. You, Delia. A scientist. Yes. <laughs> Ridiculous, isn't it? But it's true. I I'm only able to feel its presence. Napoleon can see it. Look at him now. Wouldn't you say he was watching something over there in that far corner of the room? No, I'd say he was just being as foolish as a parrot usually is. You, skeptic? About this, yes. You've been working too hard. You need a vacation. Ah, I haven't told you the worst part of it. Would you say that I'm an attractive man? Frankly, no. Oh, I suppose to a certain type of society woman... No, you... no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, then what are you talking about? I, I don't know whether this intruder is a woman, man, child, animal, but whatever it is, it holds a vast affection for me. What? Can you imagine anything so so utterly monstrous, horrible? Murchison, the, the thing is in love with me. Love me! Love me! Ah! <laughs> except Gildy's belief. And yet the alternative was even more frightful. For I could only decide that the long hours of study and lecturing had affected his mind and brought him, in fact, to the verge of insanity. I persuaded him finally to get away for a while, to leave the house and forget his professional problems, take a short trip. I accompanied him to Victoria Station, saw him off on the boat train and... Then, caught up in my duties, I had little time to consider the strange affair for nearly ten days. Uh, Father Murchison here. I hope I haven't disturbed you. Professor Gildier, then you're back in London. Oh, yes, I've been back for three days. You should have called me. How was the trip? Quite pleasant. I took passage on a channel coaster. Sea air was wonderful. You weren't troubled on the trip? Oh, no, not at all. Waited here for me. What? Could you... you come over here tonight? You mean now? Yes, if you could. You see, I, I can prove it to you now. Very well. I'll come right over. I stood there by the phone and shivered. The thing had become so real to him now that he felt he could go away and leave it, then come back and find it waiting for him. didn't call you when I first came back. I wanted to be sure. So I've waited three days and every day has been worse than the one before. In what way? What do you mean? I mean the thing was waiting for me here. Glad I was back, fawned all over me. Came more insistently obnoxious all the time. Do you mean you've seen this thing, heard it? No, no, I haven't seen it, haven't heard it, but I know it's here. I can feel it, sense it. Try to put it in words and it, it becomes absurd. If you'd like some unsolicited advice, call in a doctor. Have him look you over. And what doctor in London knows any more about the human mind than I do? I know, but when it's your own no, mind... No, 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 you're thinking of hysteria, hallucination. I, I know all the symptoms. It's, it's not that simple. Anyway, I told you I'd prove it to you. Now, you'll notice I've thrown a cover over Napoleon's cage. Yes, I've been wondering about it. It's part of my proof. He's been here, you know, all the time I was gone, here in this room. Yes, but I still... I want see. you to get behind those curtains with me. Then I'll reach out and pull the cloth off his cage. I, I don't want him to see us. I don't know what you're hoping to prove, but... All right, come on. Ready? I'll uncover him. Ah! 
We crouched there behind the curtains watching the parrot. He protested a while at being so rudely disturbed by some unseen agency, then climbed about the cage with claws and beak, pecked at crumbs and appeared entirely normal. After a time, he began to fix his attention on a spot across the room. There was nothing there. Watch him. Look at him now. In the parrot's mind, at least, someone or something was approaching the cage. And yet the room was empty. Whatever it was, apparently, had reached the cage now. And Napoleon welcomed it with friendly chortling. The hairs rose on the back of my neck. The bird was cooing and gurgling as it did when I or Gilius scratched the feathers on his head. I could almost fancy that I saw long, white, ghostly fingers reaching through the bars of the cage. Watch him. And listen to him. He's talking to the thing, imitating it. See what you think. The bird was moving about in the cage now nodding his head in a very peculiar manner, uttering the most extraordinary sounds. I began to realize he was imitating the thing he saw standing by his cage. And then the full horror of it came over me. I tried to hide the thought from Gildia, but he'd already seen it in my eyes. So you see it too. That's all I wanted to know, that I wasn't imagining it... No point in hiding there any longer. That was my proof. But perhaps someone was here while you were gone. I have questioned Pitting and the cook. No one has been here. But it can't be. Such a thing can't be. Father Murchison, it is. But where? Where is it now? Can you tell me where it is? Not exactly. Somewhere here in the room, not too far away. I can feel that. Napoleon, of course, can see it. There is some rational explanation. There has to be. Oh, whistling in the dark, Father. You recognize the same thing I did. I... Know what you mean, of course. Well, I can't stand much more of it. If it were only something I could fight, strike out at. I'm not a coward. But I can't see it, hear it. I can only feel it trying to touch me somehow, trying to get close to me, drooling with desire and affection, fondness for me. And I can't keep it away. It gets closer all the time. Gildia, you've got to get hold of yourself. Get hold of myself. You saw the way that parrot imitated this thing, those mannerisms, that gibberish... You know what it means as well as I do. I saw it, but it can't possibly... Can't you feel how hideous it is for me? I can't stop it. The thing makes love to me, caresses me. And whatever it is, it has no mind. You saw that. That thing is, is a slobbering idiot. I walked home at a late hour trying desperately to think of some reasonable answer to the whole strange affair. I could not accept Gildia's explanation of the actions of the parrot, though the bird had produced an extraordinary illusion of an invisible presence in that room. In a day gone by, perhaps I might have been called in to deal with an evil spirit. I thought of retribution. Gildia had always borne an unnatural distaste for human love, was he now being forced to endure the unnatural love of a monstrous being as punishment? I cast such thoughts away from me. Yet I could not quite accept the only other reasonable solution. That my friend was insane. It was very late when I fell asleep. The 
following evening, I preached at Warwick Chapel and returned to my quarters about nine. I found that Pitting had called a short time before and left a rather puzzling message. Implore that you come to Hyde Park at once. Otherwise, I cannot answer for the consequences. But what is it you're trying to say, Pitting? He's not himself. In what way is he not himself? I can only suggest, sir, that you talk to him. Here we are. Yes? Come in, come in. I'll leave you now, sir. Oh, Murchison, come in. Gildio, what did the name of heaven is wrong? Pitting said that you'd been Pitting a an human machine. What happened? What did he do? Nothing. Just it. Nothing. But I, I don't know. Oh, you warned me about it once. Said I'd meet a crisis, need him as a friend, and he wouldn't be there. Well, it happened. Look here. I am going to call a doctor. I've never seen you in a state like this No, no, this no. I don't need a doctor. I'm all right now. For a little while anyway. At least I think I am. Then what was it? What happened? That thing touched me. Really touched me. I mean, for the first time, it, it's only been trying to before. The only way I can put it, it, it rubbed itself against my soul. Oh, it was horrible. Now, Gilda, you've got... Don't tell me to get hold of myself. I know what I'm saying. I, I'm sorry. But if, if you'd felt it for yourself, you'd know what I mean. It was disgusting. Filthy. If it had lasted one more minute, I know I should have gone screaming mad. But you don't... You don't feel it now. No, 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 not now. I, I lost my head, I guess. I struck out with my fists. I tore at myself, screamed for help. Pitting came and thought I was drunk. But I, I could feel it touching me, sickening, soft and tender inside of me. But it left you then. You forced it away. Yes, but it's still in this room somewhere. But it hasn't tried to touch me again. Well, that settles it. Gilia, you're leaving here tonight. It didn't follow, follow you when you took that trip before. It stayed here. That's one way you can be free of it. Then, you believe in the thing, too. Believe it's real. It's real for you, and that's enough. Now, if I remember it, you're giving a lecture at Oxford the last of the week. You're going on up there now. I'll help you pack. Well, I could do that. I could stay at the Grosvenor tonight and take a train in the morning. It's right near the station. And it's all agreed. I'll wait, wait. Look at Napoleon. It's... It's standing there by his cage. He's talking to it. Imitating it. Can you imagine what that thing must look like? Let me help you start packing. But I didn't tell you what it really did this evening. What came the closest to driving me insane. It doesn't matter. The thing kissed me, Murchison. But not from the outside. What? I could feel it. Warm and wet. Kissing my lips from the inside. Gilia stayed at the hotel that night. Caught the train out to Oxford the next morning. Four days later, I received a wire from him. I'm still feeling a bit shaky, but everything else is all right. No sign of any visitor. Why don't you try to come up for the lecture Friday night and please get rid of Napoleon for me? Signed, Gildia. On sudden impulse, I decided to accept his invitation. My train was late and I arrived at Oxford with only time enough to go directly to the seminar. The 
I slid into my seat just as Gildia was introduced and began his talk. He was pale and perhaps a bit drawn, but seemed otherwise composed and in control of himself. As I sat there, my mind wandered away from his talk, seeking some solution for the horrible problem which I regarded as being as much my own as Gildia's. I decided I would try to persuade him to sell the house in Hyde Park Place, since his strange fixations seemed to be bound up with it, and try to find lodgings elsewhere. Some ten minutes passed when suddenly I noticed Gildia was becoming very nervous. He faltered in his talk. He, he seemed to be confused. He stood there on the platform, deathly pale, his hands out as though pushing something away from him. I knew what was wrong. Pardon me. Pardon me, please. Could I get through? Pardon me. Let me get to him, please. I'm his friend. Gilia. Gilia, can you hear me? Father Murchison? Yes. Hmm. Everything's all right. It came here. Found me out. It rubbed up against me on the platform. It's no use. Take me back to London. We arrived back in London late the next afternoon. Gildia was a broken old man. He shivered continually, trembled as though shaken by a chill. He claimed to sense the awful presence of that thing always nearby us, accompanying us. And he was constantly terror-stricken, lest it might try to touch him again. I stayed with him in the house in Hyde Park. And as night drew on, we sat in the long, book-filled study on the second floor. Pitting brought coffee to us, and then withdrew. We found little to talk about. And the silence of the room seemed doubly oppressive without the familiar chatter of the parrot in the background. What did you do with him, Murchison? Uh, Napoleon, I mean. I boarded him with a pet shop in Shaftesbury Avenue. I thought you might want him back again after you'd reconsidered. No. No, I won't want him back. You still can feel its presence, can't you? No, Gelia, I'm afraid I can't. I wish to heaven I couldn't. It's been here with us now, you know. Now, please doesn't matter. It's no use. I can't fight it any longer. There's no way to fight it. Perhaps that may be the answer, to stop fighting it. You said yourself that you felt it was fond of you, meant you no harm. Then why not stop fighting? Try to return its fondness, <laughs> its love, if you will. You don't know what you're asking. Even the thought of it sickens me. Fondness, love, for that thing. Perhaps it may be the only way out. Then there's no way out. I tell you, Murchison... I've only one feeling for that creature, and that's hatred. Hatred. Disgust and hatred. Please, try to be calm. Wait. Wait. What is it? Perhaps that's it. Listen. Whatever you are, beast or devil, I hate you, do you hear? I hate you. Murchison, that's doing it. It's recoiling, withdrawing. I can feel it. Gildia, please. I hate you. I hate you. Murchison, he wants to leave. It's beginning to hate me, too, but it wants to leave now. Open the door. Go downstairs and open the front door. Open the front door and let it out. All right, Gildia, if you'll feel better about it. It wants to take me along, but I know how to fight it now. Go, Murchison, hurry. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I, I hate ran you. down the stairs and threw open the front door. I stood there, breathing in the night air. 
was clear and cold and the stars hung overhead. I looked across to the park and saw the glow from the street lamp falling on the empty bench directly opposite. And at that moment came a sound that froze my blood with horror. I stood there, paralyzed, unable to move. Seconds passed, perhaps minutes, I don't know. I don't know how long I stood there. I glanced across at the empty bench, and for one moment thought I saw a shadow sitting on it, a vague shadow as guilty as I'd one night weeks before. And then the bench was empty, and I heard Pitting running down the stairs. Come quickly. Professor Gildia, he... It was his heart, I think. Yes. Yes, I believe it was his heart. But he's... Father Murchison, he's... He's lying up there, sir. He's dead. Dead? Dead, Pitting? I hope so. I sincerely hope so. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and tonight brought you How Love Came to Professor Gildia by Robert Hitchens, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with Louis Van Ruten as Professor Gildia, Harley Bear as Father Murchison, Harry Bartell as Pitting, and Paul Fries as the Parrot. Music is conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhrer. Next week... When you're tired out from doing nothing all weekend, when Blue Monday stares you in the face, next week at this time, when your problems just seem too much for you, we offer you escape. Next week, we bring you another exciting story of high adventure. Good night, then, until the same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. As originally heard on CBS on the 22nd of February, back in 1948, that was Escape. And that one featured Parley Bear, among others. Uh, Pretty good accent, I think in How Love Came to Professor Gildea. More escape in the weeks ahead. All right. I'm in the mood for a little music. There was a lot of silly songs. Remember Uh, songs like Purple People Eater and The Witch Doctor and all of those in the late 50s? They used to do those flying saucer records. Remember where they would take excerpts from different records and try to weave them into a silly story? Well, here's here's one of those songs that uh, it can only be called a novelty song, but it was really popular for a while, and it it conjures up all kinds of memories for me. I, I this has got to be about fifty nine or sixty, and I I just I picture myself in in seventh grade, the first year of junior high school at Hughes Junior High, and that, all that awkwardness that you feel. Uh, you know, the first time you're going to class, to, to a school where you're changing classes and all of a sudden the girls are girls now. They're not just playmates anymore. And that's kind of what I feel when I, when I hear this song. See if you remember it and, uh, tell me what you're feeling. (laughs) 
seven little girls sitting in the back seat, hugging and a kissing with Fred. I said, why don't one of you come up and sit beside me? And this is what the seven girls said. All together now, one, two, three. Keep your mind on your driver, keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your snoopy eyes on the road ahead. We're having fun, sitting in the backseat, kissing and hugging with Fred. Country showed him how a motor could go. I said, How do you like my triple carburetor? And one of them whispered low. All together now, one, two, three. Keep your mind on your driver, keep your hands on the wheel, keep your stupid eyes on the road ahead. We're having fun, sitting in the backseat, kissing and hugging with Fred. Seven little girls smooching in the backseat, everyone in love with Fred. I said, you don't need me, I'll get off of my house, and this is what the seven girls said. All together now, one, two, three. Keep your mind on your driver, keep your hands on the wheel, keep your stupid eyes on the road ahead. We're having fun, sitting in the backseat, kissing and Remember that song? That was Paul Evans. The name of the song is Seven Little Girls in the Backseat. And believe it or not, it was done by two different artists that same year. That same year. I believe it was uh, 59, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my. Just always amazes me the way music just brings up feelings and memories. And smells are like that, too, right? But, boy, music is certainly that way. Those novelty songs were uh, unique to that era. <laughs> I I guess, in a way, maybe I'm I'm glad they were. Let me play just one more song that I discovered the other day I hadn't heard in years and years. And then we'll go into our comedy corner. Uh, this is one that was from 1959 also. See if you remember this one. This gal had a couple of hits about that time. When was the last time you heard this? It's 
Kathy Linden. She had a couple songs from that time period. That one was from 1959, Goodbye, Jimmy, Goodbye. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm in the gymnasium at lunchtime, and, and there's a sock hop going on. And I remember Sandy Smith Sandy Smith, I, I was going to finally work up the nerve to ask her to dance. She was a fellow seventh grader in my math class, and she sat next to me in, in the next row over. And I was going to ask her to dance, and then all of a sudden, she started dancing with an eighth grader. Oh, no, an eighth grader. I can't tell you how it used to break your heart in uh, junior high and high school when the girls that were your age went with the older guys. <sighs> goodbye, Jimmy, goodbye. Hmm. Oh, well, what are you going to do? How about some comedy to <laughs> kind of lighten things up around here? <laughs> Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> On our comedy corner this week, we are going back to high school, to Madison High School, for an episode of Our Miss Brooks. 
This one was originally broadcast on the 21st of May in 1950 on CBS. And it has the regular cast. This one has uh, Jeff Chander playing Mr. Boynton. Of course, Eve Arden is Connie Brooks. Uh, Jane Morgan is Mrs. Davis. We have uh, Richard Krenn as, as Walter Denton. And, of course, Gail Gordon is Mr. Conklin. So here we go from May 21st, 1950, R. Miss Brooks and the Rare Black Orchid. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, this is National Pickle Week. And among others who celebrated the occasion was our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. I celebrated National Pickle Week, all right, by getting myself into the prettiest pickle you've ever seen. It all started innocently enough when my landlady and I sat down to breakfast last Thursday morning. There's your cereal, Connie. Now tell me, dear, have you made any plans for your vacation next month? Nothing definite, Mrs. Davis. Perhaps it's just as well not to plan too far in advance. Who knows what summer may bring? You might even elope. Have you ever thought of that, Connie? Many times, Mrs. Davis. I'd do it in a minute, too. If it weren't for a stubborn little streak in me, which keeps insisting that it's no fun to elope by yourself. (laughs) Oh, I didn't mean by yourself, Connie. What's wrong with Mr. Boynton? For submitting the outstanding question of the week, we are sending Mrs. Margaret Davis a lifetime supply of Dutch boy paint. (laughs) I wish I knew what was wrong with Mr. Boynton. All he talks about lately is his impending vacation in South America. South America? What a wonderful idea. And it simplifies everything. It does? Of course. If Mr. Boynton is going to South America, that's where you have to go. The thought has occurred to me, Mrs. Davis, but there's one thing that stands in the way. Transportation. Transportation? Yes, one of my water wings has a blowout. (laughs) Don't be discouraged by your present financial state, Connie. I'll go make some tea and read your tea leaves in a little while. Maybe there'll be some good news in your cup. Why, at this very moment, Lady Luck may be camping on your doorstep. Well, don't sit there, lady. Come on in. (laughs) Greetings, most gracious and scintillating educator. Thank you, most generous and observant pupil. Sit down, Walter, and have some toast and jelly. Ah, thanks. What kind of a plant is that you're holding? It's a rare black orchid, Miss Brooks. Here. An orchid? Must have cost you quite a bit of money, Walter. Pish, tush. The blossom cost me nothing. Besides, this is no time to concern ourselves with petty monetary considerations. I'm going to be rich, Miss Brooks. Wealthy beyond all dreams of avarice. The fabulous treasures of the universe are within my grasp. Say, buddy, could you spare a round-trip ticket to South America? (laughs) No, I'm serious, Miss Brooks. I've discovered uranium. Uranium? Where? On my shoe. (laughs) Who's your boot black? It's no joke, Miss Brooks. I made the discovery in the chem lab. We got a brand new Geiger counter, and it's... Uh, By the way, have you ever used a Geiger counter? I haven't had to, Walter. Very few of my pupils are named Geiger. (laughs) No. I'm afraid you don't understand. 
A Geiger counter is an instrument that measures the number and intensity of emanations from radioactive substances. Sounds terribly talented. But how did you get mixed up with it? Well, I climbed on a desk to fix a light bulb, and my shoe got near the Geiger counter. You should have heard it. It almost blew its top. That means uranium's on my shoe. Now, the way I figure it, all I've got to do is retrace my steps of the past few days. Wouldn't it be easier to just start mining your shoe? <laughs> Please, Miss Brooks. No, you've got to help me. You see, the counter is school property and can't be removed from the building without Mr. Conklin's permission. But... If a teacher were to ask oh, him... Oh, not me, Walter. I'd like to assist you in this project, but now is the wrong time. Tuesday, I knocked a bowl of soup into his lap in the cafeteria, and last week, I dropped a typewriter on his foot. Oh. Say, it's almost 8.15. I better park this orchid in the icebox and get ready to leave. Have a glass of milk, Walter. I'll just be a minute. Okay, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's you, Connie. The tea is almost ready. I'm afraid I won't have time for the reading, Mrs. Davis. I just want to put this in the icebox. My, what a lovely stalk of asparagus. <laughs> Don't let Walter Denton hear you say that. This happens to be a black orchid. Oh, but you shouldn't put that in the icebox, Connie. It won't do anybody any good there. Why don't you take it down to school with you and give it to Mr. Conklin? Mr. Conklin? Yes. You told me yourself you've been naughty lately. Maybe this little gift would make up for your recent habit of <clears throat> dropping things on him. Say, it might at that. Although I wouldn't want Walter to find out that I gave away his present. Walter wouldn't mind. Besides, he won't know anything about it. I'll just put the flower into this box that the clean laundry came in, tie it with this red ribbon, and presto, you've got a peace offering for your principal. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. I'm sure nothing could make him happier unless I was tied up in the box. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I wish you'd reconsider my proposition about that Geiger counter. If you'll just get us permission to use it, I'll make you a 50-50 partner in whatever we find. It's a more than liberal offer, Walter, but I'm afraid I can't take advantage of it. Right now, I'm trying to figure a good method of stowing away to South America. Well, all right, Miss Brooks, but I hate the thought of passing up a possible bonus of $10,000 offered for discoveries of uranium. I know, Walter, and I can't say that it's altogether impossible, but as far as the immediate future is concerned, did you say $10,000? That's right. And if it's a big field, we might even get ten times that much. Open the throttle, Casey, and point me at Mr. Conklin's office. <laughs> Finish straightening up your office, Daddy. Thanks, Harriet. Run along, child. Isn't there anything else I can do? You can leave me alone. Now get to your first class. Daddy, you're irritated this morning. Harriet, you're another Ellery Queen. <laughs> it so happens that some vandal broke into my garden, trampled my flower beds, and stole a rare black orchid. <laughs> I didn't know that. I just found out about it myself. I've been nursing that plant along for seven years. I was planning to give that orchid to your dear mother. It's her birthday today, you know. Yes, I know. Now I'll probably have to buy a present for the old... It's a hard gift. <laughs> if I ever get my hands on the scoundrel who... Enter. Good morning, Mr. Conklin. Oh, it's you. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. I was just leaving the office, Miss Brooks. 
Try and cheer Daddy up a bit, will you? He's rather low this morning. I'll see you at lunch, Daddy. Bye. Bye. Well, Mr. Conklin, isn't this a bright and cheerful morning? Be brief, Miss Brooks. <laughs> what brings you to my office? I just came in to leave this little gift. Gift? Yes, sir. May I put it on your desk? If you think you can do so without knocking the typewriter off on my foot again. <laughs> what else? Mr. Conklin, I should like your permission to borrow the Geiger counter from the chem lab. Geiger counter? I believe that's what it's called. It's used to indicate the presence of uranium. Miss Brooks, are you planning to pelt me with an A-bomb? <laughs> Certainly not, Mr. Conklin. I couldn't even lift an A-bomb. <laughs> but I've heard that there's quite a reward for discovering new uranium deposits, and I thought I maybe I... kindly leave the premises. But, Mr. Conklin, I, I... I am in no mood to discuss this nonsensical project at this moment. I've had a most difficult morning. Nay, a shocking morning. What happened, Mr. Conklin? I don't know how versed you are in things botanical, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm pretty versed. <laughs> <laughs> Several years ago, I purchased a rare plant. For the first few years, it failed to bloom. I tried everything. Finally, I ceased to rely on the hit-or-miss methods of plant propagation employed by a bunch of buzzing bees, and I pollinated that plant personally. <laughs> Do you realize what that entailed? Of course. You had to smear your feet with honey and jump from petal to petal. <laughs> No, Miss Brooks. But there are other back-breaking procedures which I pursued faithfully for seven long years until finally my efforts bore fruit. You became the father of a lemon tree. <laughs> Wrong again. An orchid plant. A black orchid plant. Just yesterday, it started to bloom, and I said to myself, you're a lucky man, Osgood. Tomorrow, this lovely flower will blossom just in time for your wife Martha's birthday. And then do you know what happened this morning? Yes. I mean, no. <laughs> Some vandal stole it. Well, I guess I'd better be running along. <laughs> Miss Brooks, where are you taking that box? I thought you said it was a gift. Oh, it is a gift, Mr. Conklin. But not for you. That is not actually. It's for Mrs. Conklin. Her birthday, you know. Just a little remembrance. Well, you can leave it here. I'll take it to her after school. I'd like to see what it is before I... Oh, take no. It. I, uh, I'd rather you didn't see it, Mr. Conklin. That is, well, it's uh, underwear. <laughs> That's all right. We share a dresser, you know. <laughs> Put it down and get to your classroom. But, Mr. Dismiss! <laughs> oh, uh, one thing before you go. If you should happen to hear any of the students, or faculty for that matter, discussing a black orchid, would you please make a confidential note of the party's name? Confidential? I won't even read it to myself. <laughs> My morning classes passed without any undue noise from the principal's office, so I assumed that Mr. Conklin hadn't found time to open the box containing his own black orchid, so thoughtfully provided for me by Walter Denton. 
When lunch period arrived, I hurried to the biology laboratory to let Mr. Boynton in on the ground floor of my predicament. Busy, Mr. Boynton? Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. Come on in. Uh, before we go to lunch, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. It's really silly, I guess, but I was rather embarrassed this morning. Embarrassed? It all started when Walter Denton came to pick me up and told me some ridiculous story about finding uranium on his shoes. Oh, that isn't completely ridiculous, Miss Brooks. As a matter of fact, it was more or less confirmed in the chem lab by the reaction of the Geiger counter. You mean that Walter did actually step into uranium? Well, not necessarily. It could be some similar radioactive substance. You realize, of course, that the Geiger counter is an extremely sensitive instrument. It'll even pick up emanations from your radium dial wristwatch. All the way from Fisher's pawn shop? <laughs> it's a wonderful invention. And while Walter's shoe may not necessarily indicate the presence of any large field nearby, it, it's still a rather provocative incident. I'll say it is. Half of $10,000 is very provocative. If one were to discover some uranium, one would never miss the money it cost for a summer vacation, would one? Well, I should think not. I'm going to South America myself. South America? <laughs> well, that's funny. I'm going to spend my vacation down there. You too? <laughs> what a coincidence. When are you leaving? The day school ends, June 23rd. You too? <laughs> what boat are you taking? The SS Brazil. You too? <laughs> what cabin will you be? Oh, no, I... that if we're going to be in Brazil at the same time, it ought to make it very pleasant for both of us. They say the nights down there are very conducive to romance. Yes, I've heard something to that effect. In fact, on most June nights in Brazil, the stars seem to be so low in the sky that you can reach out and touch each other. Please, Miss Brooks, I... <laughs> I, uh... I don't like to change the subject, but... Not the... much you don't. <laughs> That's all right, Mr. Boynton. Brazil can wait. What is it you wanted to say? Well, uh, I'd like to show you just how the Geiger counter reacts. Mr. Keller has a tiny sample of uranium in the chem lab. It's usually under lock and key, though, and... I... Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Walter. I just dropped by to take another look at the Geiger counter. Uh, did you tell Mr. Boynton about the swell black orchid I gave you, Miss Brooks? I was just about to. Walter gave me a fine black orchid this morning, Mr. Boynton. A black orchid? Say, they're mighty rare. Must have been cultivated for about seven years. Most likely in a hothouse. This one is hotter than that. <laughs> Walter, I don't usually give away presents, but I think you ought to know that in trying to get on Mr. Conklin's good side, I gave him the black orchid. You gave Mr. Conklin the black... I better get a glass of milk. I don't feel so good. <laughs> Just a minute, young man. Why did you steal that flower from Mr. Conklin's garden? Well, it wasn't really stealing. I was only getting even. Every time Mr. Conklin passes our house, he strolls through the gate and gloms a rose for himself. Well, rose glomming isn't orchid glomming. Besides, why did you have to make me the fence? The fence? Receiver of stolen goods. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Chaucer lately. <laughs> I'm sorry about the whole thing, Miss Brooks. 
But tell me, what did Mr. Conklin say when he saw his own orchid? Luckily for both of us, he hasn't opened the box yet. Well, then maybe if someone could get into his office... You too? (laughs) That's just what I was thinking. You too? (laughs) I just saw Harriet in the hall. Of course, she doesn't know about what I did, but she told me your dad went shopping. Then maybe we can remove the plant before he comes back. Exactly. And I've got a scheme that'll make it impossible for old Marblehead, uh, Mr. Conklin, <laughs> to incriminate any of us. Are you with me? What's the layout, Louie? <laughs> well, I snipped the orchid off at the bottom. It's still got a long stem, see? Now, as soon as it gets dark, we can sneak back into his garden, stick the stem in the ground, and when he sees it tomorrow, he'll think something was wrong with his eyes this morning. And then when he snips it off, he won't know it has no roots. Walter, you're a genius. But Mr. Conklin's bound to find out it has no roots when another orchid fails to grow. Maybe so, but in seven years, we can cook up a dilly of an alibi. I'll keep a watch here at the door, Miss Brooks. All right, Mr. Boynton. Now hurry, Walter. We've got to get that box off Mr. Conklin's desk before he gets back. Okay, Miss Brooks. There, I've got it. He's coming down the hall. We better get out of here. It's too late. He'll see us. Quick, get rid of the box. What box? The one you're holding, Walter. Oh, here you hold Mr. Boynton. All right. I don't want this. Here, here, Miss Brooks. Here's a nice orchid for you. For me? How sweet of you, Miss. What am I saying? Here, you take this, Walter. I'm allergic. Keep it. <laughs> quick, quick, Miss Brooks. Toss it out the window. The window? Where is it? Oh, right here. Open, thank goodness. There you go. Hello, what's everybody doing in my... Miss Brooks, may I inquire what it was you just threw out of my window? Who, me? (laughs) That is your name, isn't it, Brooks? Or do you shot put under a nom de plume? (laughs) Well, I do remember tossing something out, but it, it was just a little bug. A bug? Yes, sir. That's just what it was, Mr. Conklin. A bug. We all saw it, didn't we, Mr. Boynton? Oh, yes, yes, it was a bug, Mr. Conklin. In my office? What sort of a bug was it? A beetle. A boll weevil. A louse. <laughs> uh, the three of them were building a nest. A nest? Well, a hutch or whatever it is they live in. Boll weevil live in cotton bowls. You must get awfully tired of watching football games, don't you? <laughs> What's going on? (laughs) What are you three doing in my office? Well, sir, we just came in to wish your wife a happy birthday. (laughs) You came in to wish my wife a happy birthday? Yes, sir. Happy birthday to her. Happy birthday. Oh, quiet! (laughs) Mr. Conklin, I might as well tell the truth. I wanted to give Mrs. Conklin her present myself. That's why we entered your office, but then when I heard you coming, I became nervous and tossed it out the window. Oh, well, that's easily remedied. We'll just reach out and pick it up. Ah, but if there's nothing in it but underwear, I... Please, not in front of Mr. Boynton. (laughs) You see, that was a little fib, too, Mr. Conklin. It, It isn't underwear. It's something for the house. You see, I wanted you to be surprised, too. That's right. That's what Miss Brooks told us. Yes, sir. She wants you to be surprised, too. Oh, oh, well, that's different. Something for the house, eh? Mrs. Conklin's been talking about new curtains for the dinette. 
Could this be curtains? It could be for us. Uh, please, Mr. Conklin, if you'll just hand it over, I'll be eternally in your debt. You are now. <laughs> but if it pleases you to surprise us, then take it. But whatever you do, don't come over too early. I'm not going to give Mrs. Conklin my gift until after dinner. Oh, that's perfect. You'll be good and busy inside. That is, goodbye now. <laughs> is about to close, Daddy. Aren't you going to have lunch? I had to bite downtown, Harriet, when I bought your mother her birthday present. Oh, what did you get her, Daddy? A radium dial table model clock so she can see what time of night it is without waking me. I took it home before I returned to school. Fifteen dollars I paid for that clock. She'd better like it. I hope you hid it someplace where she won't find it in advance. You know how inquisitive Mother is about her presents. I'm well aware of your mother's little idiosyncrasy, Harriet. I hid it all right. I buried it in the little sunken toolbox out in our garden. This is one present nobody could find without a Geiger counter. Get off that driveway, Walter. Here's the gate to the backyard. Now, show us about where you got the orchid, Walter, and I'll dig a little hole for it and put it back. All right, you are, Mr. Boynton. It's over this way. Bring the box. What's that box you're carrying, Walter? This? Oh, this is the Geiger counter. I figured if we get away with this flower deal, we can get away with borrowing the counter for one evening. Oh, great. Now I'm the co-owner of a hot Geiger counter. <laughs> I wonder how Tehachapi is in the summertime. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Miss Brooks. We'll be through with this job in a jiffy, and then we can do a little prospecting. Oh, uh, stop right here, Mr. Boynton. I think this is pretty close to where I got the flower. All right, Walter. Please, Mr. Boynton, there's nothing to get so excited about. That wasn't me. No? It's a Geiger counter. This is where I must have stepped. Miss Brooks, we're rich. South America, take me away. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, dig some more. I'll put the counter over here now so we keep quiet. We don't want to disturb anybody. Uh, wait a minute. I've uncovered some sort of a toolbox. What's this package in it? Listen. It's ticking. Ticky. It must be a time bomb a, a time bomb? But who would want to blow up Mr. Conklin? Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, if there's uranium around here This bomb could have been planted by someone Who didn't want any of us to get it That's right Or it could have been placed by some crackpot Who wants to see our civilization survive <laughs> It's ticking louder. Quick, give it to me. Here's a full watering can. This should stop it. There, it stopped. You've done it, Miss Brooks. Oh, you certainly have, Miss Brooks. I don't know what it is she's done, but I'll bet I'm against it. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, oh, this is one time you won't be mad at us. Miss Brooks just stopped the ticking. Well, she certainly did, sir. She threw the whole box right into the watering can. You see, it isn't making a sound. Indeed, it isn't. <laughs> but then, after they're submerged in water for a while, very few $15 table model clocks are capable of making any sound! $15 table clock? <laughs> 
Yes, Miss Brooks? Contained in this soggy, gift-wrapped box is my wife's <laughs> birthday present. Well, is there any message you'd like to convey? All together, gang. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mrs. Conway. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, when we showed Mr. Conklin that his black orchid was still intact, and I promised to reimburse him for the ruined clock, he calmed down a bit and his complexion returned to its normal color. Purple. (laughs) After he had dismissed us, I slunk back to my room and fell into a nice, peaceful stupor. Plumber. (laughs) However, I awoke in the morning with a very disquieting thought. The fact remained that somewhere, somehow, Walter Denton had stepped in uranium. Mr. Keller, the chemistry teacher, had verified that. So when Walter arrived to pick me up, I hastened to reaffirm our partnership. We are still partners, aren't we, Walter? Oh, you bet, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin didn't see the Geiger counter at all. Good. Now, today, let's get a hold of a sample of uranium so we'll know what we're looking for. hmm? And first, you'll have to give me $5, Miss Brooks. $5? We're partners, aren't we? You put in five and I'll put in five. Mr. Keller just called to tell me that's what a sample costs. Why should we have to buy it? Couldn't we borrow it? Look, Miss Brooks, remember I told you how I got up on the table in school to fix the light bulb? Yes, but what has that got to do with the uranium sample in the chem lab? That's the uranium I stepped in. What? Sure. That's why we got to put in five dollars each to buy the school a new sample. Now I've got to go to South America, if only to send you a tsetse fly. Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis, Lester White, and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch under the direction of Maurice Carlton. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, and Gloria McMillan. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From May 21st, 1950, that was Our Miss Brooks. And the name of that episode is genuinely considered to be The Rare Black Orchid. Pretty good show. 1950, I was just noticing a couple of things that sort of uh, rang a bell from when I was a, a kid. Now, I was pretty young in 1950, only, I guess in May, only two and a half years old, three years old, something like that. Uh, nonetheless, some of those things kind of hung around for a while. And this whole idea of a Geiger counter uh, and uranium, man, I remember a lot of talk about that when I was a kid. Uh, and, and movies started hitting on that. I guess it was after the atomic bombs were dropped in Japan that people, especially mystery writers and science fiction writers, started having a lot of fun imagining the damage that radiation fallout could do and 
and all of a sudden desert tarantulas were turned into 200-foot-high monsters. Remember that? Remember tarantula? Of course, Godzilla was, uh, was one of the most famous, I suppose. The reason he got so big was from radiation, right? It, it woke him up, didn't it? Somehow didn't the bomb wake him up? from some sleep under the sea or something. I forget exactly the storyline of Godzilla. Everybody was talking about that back there in the 50s. Do you remember, this is sort of related, when I thought of Geiger counters, for some reason this came to mind. Do you remember fluoroscopes? Which I guess are still used, but I remember going to the doctor when I was a kid, and the doctor would just take a fluoroscope machine, a big heavy glass, screen and roll it in front of your chest and give you a chest x-ray while he stood there and my mother stood there in the room with no protection. <laughs> What's that, Chester? Do you remember the fluoroscopes they used to have in the, in, in the shoe stores? Yes, in shoe stores. Yes, I do. Chester was just reminding me that they used to have fluoroscopes in kids' shoe stores. Do you remember those? And you could go in and there was a slot where you could put your feet and your and, and then you you could look down through a um, viewer and you could you could see the bones in your toes wiggling. And they were green. Remember that? They were green. <laughs> yes. He's he's saying yes, yeah, they were green. Wow. Hmm. Did you notice that uh, Mr. Boynton was going to go to South America. He was going to leave on the day school got out, which was June 23rd. That's the way it used to be in California. I don't know what it is these days, but I know here in St. Louis now, kids get out of school in May for summer, and then they go back usually in mid-August. And when I was a kid growing up, we always got out the third week of June and went back the second week of September. I don't know what it's like out there now, but All right, our Miss Brooks, one of our favorite shows here on Boomer Boulevard, and we will have more episodes coming up in the weeks ahead. Before we go on, I received an email from a listener, and I thought it was kind of of fun, so I thought I'd share it with you and see if we can honor her request. It says, Dear Bob, I was listening to one of your old shows the other day and was intrigued by your comments regarding a couple of songs you played. One was called Sukiyaki and was sung by a male singer in the Japanese language. The other song was called either Seaman or The Sailor, and was sung by a woman in what I believe was German. You mentioned that these were the only two big hits in the USA during the early years of rock and roll that were sung entirely in a foreign language. My mother, however, swears she remembers another song that was sung in German. She can't remember the name of the song, but she thinks it was from the late 50s, had beautiful background singers, and the man singing had a really nice voice. She thinks the name of the song might have been Norman or something like that. If you could find this song and play it, we would sure appreciate it. We listen to you every two weeks on YUSA and really miss your website. Will that be back soon? Thanks so much, Lori Mason Montgomery from Brooklyn, New York, my old stomping ground. And Lori said, P.S., it's okay to use my last name. All right, Lori, first of all, I don't know how you were listening to this because the website has not 
doesn't have a lot of those old shows, so you must have downloaded this some time ago. This this goes back many years, I think. And I thought I was on pretty solid ground when I made that statement. But, you know, after digging a little bit, I did find, I believe, the song your mother was remembering. And it's not entitled Norman. I can see where she might remember it that way. But actually, it's entitled Morgan. And I do remember it. And see if you do. Morgan! Das Glück. Gestern, gestern liegt schon so weit zurück. War es auch eine schöne, schöne Zeit? Morgen, morgen, morgen sind wir. remember that song. And it was popular in 1959. Let me get my notes here. It was done by a fellow by the name of Ivo Robic, and he was nicknamed Mr. Morgan following the success of his first international hit, Morgan, which means tomorrow. The record was a hit in 1959. It was an optimistic song, and it was the first collaboration between Robic and Burt Kempert. So that's who was playing the background music there. 
Following its success in Germany, the German language version became a number 13 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States. It sold over a million copies and was awarded a gold disc. An English set of lyrics, One More Sunrise, which bears no resemblance to the German lyrics, was sung by Leslie Uggams and reached 98 on the same charts. Well, very interesting. He was actually Croatian. He lived in what was then known as Yugoslavia, but this was a German hit. I remember loving it. I remember wanting to buy it. I don't think I ever did buy that one back in 1959. Thanks so much for asking. Chester's giving me a big high five. (laughs) He knows we had to dig long and hard (laughs) to find that one. So thank you, Chester. I appreciate it very much. And Lori, I thank you and your mother and hope you're doing very well there in Brooklyn. I will try to get the website back up soon. Uh, Just a lot of distractions right now, but I I will work to get it back up. There's a few shows up there now, but it hasn't been updated in quite a while. And, and I had another technical problem. So anyway, I, I sure thank you, though, for listening. And please, anybody that uh, has a question or a comment or would like to hear something in particular, send us an email. Just send it to bob at boomerboulevard.com and I will get it. It is time for gun smoke, everybody. Time to mosey down Front Street in Dodge City, Kansas. Travel back with me to 1874 and walk with Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. We have a really good episode tonight. It was originally broadcast on CBS on the 13th of December back in 1952, and it's entitled Post Martin. The uh, female lead in this is played by Jeannie Bates. And boy, she's good in this. I I really uh, would like to hand her an award for the job she she did on this role. It's really outstanding. So here we go. From 1952, Gunsmoke and Post Martin.
around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, Chester. You want to see the prettiest sight north of the Pecos? Huh? Sight? Come over here to the window and look what's coming down the street. Not if it's anything besides trouble, it'll surprise me. She must come in on the Santa Fe from the east. Wow. Say, I think she's coming here. Yeah, it looks that way. My, I should have shaved this morning. <laughs> or even yesterday morning. Now, what could a lady like that be doing in Dodge City? Hey, maybe she's going to work in one of the saloons, Mr. Dillon. No, I hope not, Chester. Uh, good morning, ma'am. How do you do? I'm... I'm looking for the United States Marshal. Well, I'm the... Uh, my name's Dillon, Matt Dillon. I'm Catherine Blair, Mr. Dillon. Oh, it's a pleasure, Miss Blair. May I introduce my deputy? This is Chester Proudfoot. How do you do? How do you do? I uh, just got in on the train from Boston, Mr. Dillon. Oh? The station master said that you might be able to help me. Well, I'd be glad to. I'm looking for my brother, Martin Blair. Why, say, Mr. Dillon... Uh, that, that... Uh, Chester, will you punch up that fire? It seems a little chilly in here. Chilly? Yeah, Sure. Right away, Mr. Dillon. Do you happen to know my brother, Mr. Dillon? Uh, yes. Yes, I know him. Oh, good. Then you can tell me where to find him. Well, I, I'm not too sure that I can. You see, he, uh, he moves around a lot. Yes, I know. He left home and came out west two years ago and... Every time he's written us, it's been from a different address. He's always been that way. Restless, I guess you might call it. Yes, yes, I guess you might. Mother's always thinking he might get into trouble out here by himself. But I tell her not to worry. He's young yet. He'll grow out of it. I see. Uh, meanwhile, though, you'll, you'll need some place to stay, I imagine. Well, yes, I, I suppose there's a hotel. Uh, I think the Wood of Markham may have an extra room. You'd be better off there than at a hotel. Uh, your baggage at the station? Yes. Chester, hmm? uh, will you go to the station with Miss Blair and then take her over to Wood of Markham's and get her settled in a room? Sure thing, Mr. Dillon. This is awfully nice of you. <laughs> Not at all. And, uh, Chester... 
Will you explain the situation to Miss Markham? I mean that uh, we don't know where Miss Blair's brother is at the moment, Chester. Yes, sir. I'll explain it to her, Mr. Dillon. After you, ma'am. Oh, thank you. You're very kind, Mr. Dillon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Jack, wake up, Jack. I'm not asleep, Marshal. What do you want? A jail cell usually softens a man up. Not this one, Dylan. Not now or 20 years from now. Yeah, yeah, I know. You want something or are you just making conversation? Your sister's in town, Martin. Kathy? Kathy's here in Dodge? She just left the office. She's looking for you. What'd you tell her? Nothing. Yet. Seems like a fine girl. You gotta get her out of here, Dylan. Don't let her find out. Get her on a train and get her out of here. Huh? Why? Maybe I'm no good. But there's no reason why Kathy should pay for it. It's got nothing to do with me. Then you won't help. You won't keep her from finding out? I don't know if I can, Martin. But I'll think about it. Oh. Evening, Mr. Dillon. Hello, Chester. Anything come up? No, sir. It's been the quietest night in weeks. Yeah, no trail herds in town. I guess that's the reason. Uh, Miss Blair's all right, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, she's all right, Chester. Have you told her about her brother, Mr. Dillon? Well, I I told her that he's out of town. We're trying to get word to him. The truth's bound to get to her somehow, sooner or later. Yeah, I know. Only reason it hasn't already is because everybody in town knows him as Boston Jack. Yes, but his real name will come out at the trial next week, though. Well, I've been trying to get her to leave before then, go back home, but she won't leave until she sees him. Mm. It's sure going to go hard with her when she finds out her brother's guilty of cattle rustling. And murder and horse stealing. And this time we got a witness. Yes, sir. I don't rightly see how you can keep her from finding out, Mr. Dillon. Come on, Chester, let's have a talk with Martin. Nice night, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, it's fine. Great night for taking a walk. Don't you think so, Martin? Anything's better than rotting in that cell. Well, where did you expect to end up? All you got is old man Hawk's word against mine. He's lying. The jury will believe him. If he could see me so plain, how come he couldn't tell you who was with me? It was dark. He saw your face in the gun flesh. 
corpse. When you shot his foreman in the back. That's a lie. As far as that's concerned, I know who was with you, but I haven't got a case against him. Red Poley. Wasn't it? I wouldn't know. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I suppose we leave it to the jury. Here's the way to Markham's place, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. All right, Martin, let's get it straight now. You're here because you want to keep your sister from knowing the truth about you. Now, we're going in there and talk to her. Then you're going back to jail. You know the story I'm planning to tell her. I know. I just want to make one thing clear. You are going back to jail. Chester will stay on the front porch and cover you through the window, and I'll be inside with you. Also wearing a gun. Don't try anything foolish. I wouldn't want to kill you in front of your sister, but if it comes to it, I'll do it. You understand? Sure. I understand. All right, let's go. I'll be there at the first window, Mr. Dillon. The parlor's on the left. All right, Chester. Heads up, Chester. Yes, sir. Good evening, Miss Blair. Oh, why, Mr. Dillon? I, uh, I've brought you a visitor. A visit? Martin. Hiya, Kathy. Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin. Martin. Here now. Take it easy. Oh, it's been so long. Oh, Martin, why didn't you write? Well, you know how it is, sis. Uh... Say, maybe we could all go inside, huh? Oh, of course. Come on in. Come in. Oh, I couldn't imagine who was knocking. Mrs. Markham has gone to bed and... Oh, here. Sit down, both of you. Thank you, Miss Blair. Oh, Mr. Dillon. Where on earth did you find him? Well, I, uh... I guess I better confess to you, Miss Blair. I, uh... I knew all along where he was. What? The only trouble was I I just couldn't produce him. Uh, I, I'm afraid I don't understand you. Uh, well, you see, Martin's been doing some work for me. Uh, sort of secret work, you might say. We're trying to dig up evidence on a gang of cattle rustlers around. Oh, just wait till Mother hears about that. Oh, and she was so worried about you. Yeah... Uh, quite a job. Uh, it's uh, pretty hard for your brother to get away from the gang without stirring up suspicion. In fact, he uh, he's only got about an hour this evening. Oh? But you will manage more time in the next day or so. I'm afraid not, sis. Uh, I may not be able to get away again for a month. A month? In fact... I've been thinking it over, and I think the best thing you can do is to take a train back home right away. But I just got here, Martin. It's no place for you, Kathy. Uh, he's right, Miss Blair. Dodge City's no town for a girl alone. But I came all this way to see Martin. It's like and... I told you, though, sis. Uh, it may be a month before I can manage to get away again. Uh, tell you what. After this, uh, job is finished. Maybe I can get back east for a week or so. Oh, Martin, if you only could. 
We'd all be so happy. I can't guarantee it, but I'll sure try. I'll admit I'm a little nervous here. Why, the very first thing Mrs. Markham showed me was a revolver she keeps hanging out there in the hall. In case of intruders, she said. Good heavens. Well, this is the frontier, Miss Blair. The law is still pretty much for the man who shoots first. Except sometimes. Yeah. That sounds awful. Martin, you will be careful, won't you? I'm always careful. I suppose I had better take your advice and arrange to leave in the next day or two. But meanwhile, we have an hour at least. Tell me about yourself, Martin. Tell me everything you've been doing. It's cold in here, Mr. Dillon. Uh, yeah, you better get a fire started, Chester. I'll take Martin back and lock him up. I could use a little heat back in that cell. You got plenty of blankets. Well, come on, let's go. Now, you walk ahead of me. Dillon, suppose the jury brings in a conviction. What's the sentence going to be? That's not up to me. I'm just asking for information. It means hanging, right? Probably. All right, stand right there while I open the cell. I don't want much to hang, Marshal. Nobody does. All right, Martin, get in. Slow and easy, Dylan. Put your hands up slow. Good. Now keep them that way. Where'd you get the gun? In the hall at Mrs. Markham. I slipped it under my coat when I was kissing Kathy goodbye. I'll take your gun now, Dylan. Thanks. Feels good to be holding a pair of guns again. You won't be holding them long. Maybe. One thing, though. If you take me again, you'll have to take me dead. Any way you want it. In the cell, Dylan. Come on, move. Tell Chester goodbye for me, will you? I think I'll just go on out the back way. What about your sister? I guess she wouldn't want to see me hang either. When you come right down to it. So long, Dylan. Doggone it, Mr. Dillon. I know one of these keys is supposed to fit. Chester, all I've got to say is that it better fit. Yes, sir, it'll... That's not it. It would be a fine how-to-do if we had to call in a blacksmith to get you out of your own jail. Chester. It'd be sort of like the time... Never mind, Chester. Just get the door open. Yes, sir. Oh, I know how you feel, all right, Mr. Well, I declare. (laughs) There you are, Mr. Dillon. Come on. 
get the other gun out of the office safe. Fine, thanks you get for trying to help people. A man gets careless and then he winds up in a jam like this. Hey, let's see now. All right, 27. Left, 69. All right. It's sure going to be hard to explain why you took Martin out of jail, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know. If he gets clean away, we're going to look pretty foolish. He's not going to get away, Chester. Yes, sir. Ten to one, Martin will try to team up with his sidekick, Pole, before he heads out of town. Let's try the saloons first and see if we can pick up his trail. Yes, Mr. Dillon. Martin said we'd never bring him in alive. So don't take any chances. Mm. He's in the back room. Let's walk over toward the bar. That's bad business, Chester. Martin's already shot one man in the back. We'll never catch him in the open, if he's got anything to say about it. Yes, sir, I've been thinking about that. Kind of makes a man's spine crawl. Hiya, boy. Heavenly day. Uh... <laughs> you act as though you were caught robbing a bank, Chester. I've always suspected Chester of having a shady past, kid. <laughs> Uh, have a drink, Matt? Uh, no, no, we haven't got time. We, we can't stay. We're looking for a fellow. Uh, by the way, uh, who went bail for Boston Jack? What do you mean? Well, he was in here about ten minutes he ago. He was in here, huh? Yeah, he, he talked to Red Poley, and the two of them left together. I thought he must You know out. where they went, Kitty? Well, no, Matt, I haven't got any idea, but they sure left here in a hurry. He broke out of jail, huh? There's 40 ways from Sunday they could have ridden, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know. But if they're not in Dodge, there's only one way they'd head. The Circle B. Yeah. Martin knows Hawks is the only witness I've got against him. Come on, Chester. Ranch looks quiet. Yeah. Well, we've been making time. Maybe we outrode them. If they're even headed this way. Now well, they better be. Hold it. Who's there? Oh, Somebody standing there at the side of the house. Yeah, I see. It's the marshal, Matt Dillon. Is that you, Ezra? That's right. Come on up, Matt. What yeah. brings you way out here this time of night, Matt? Well... I'm sort of counting on an old acquaintance of yours showing up here sometime tonight. What are you talking about? Boston Jack. Out of jail. Matt, how'd that happen? Well, I doubt it if it'd serve any good purpose to go into that right now. He hasn't been here, I take it. No. Matt, he's a mad dog. Ought to be shot a long time ago. I'd kill him on sight. Well, I came out here to make sure he doesn't kill you. Chester, put our horses in the barn. Get him out of sight, huh? All right, Mr. Dillon. And, uh, you may as well stay there, Chester, and cover the yard. Yes, sir. Well, what about us, Matt? What are we going to do? Go inside the house and put the lights out and wait. That's all, just wait. Well, it's been 30 minutes, Matt. I think you're on a cold trail. 
I hope not. Yeah, he'd had enough time to get here. Maybe not enough courage, though. They figured the odds are two to one in their favor. Shouldn't take much courage. People who've never killed anybody don't understand. The killer's worst enemy is his own nerve. Well, I take your word for it, Matt. I guess you sat and waited like this plenty of times. Yeah, too many. Uh, does it ever bother you, Matt? Do you ever get to wondering? Wait a minute. Well, there they are, Ezra. Where, Matt? It's over there by the corral. You see? They're walking the horses into the yard. Slow and quiet. Yeah. Yeah, I see them. What are you going to do, Matt? Go out and call them. Oh, they'll fire from the dark without no warning. Yeah, I know. They're getting off their horses. Gotta walk up here, I guess. All right, Ezra, stay in the house and keep out of this. Chester and I can handle them. Yeah, Matt, good luck. Thanks. Martin, Polly, you're under arrest. Kill him. Be careful, Matt. Heads up, Chester. I dropped Polly. Martin's running into the corral. Yes, sir. I see him, Mr. Dillon. You're trapped, Martin. Now climb out of that corral. I told you how it would be, Dillon. Come on in and get me. Sure, Martin. I'm coming. Mr. Dillon, he's fired the hayrick. We ought to... Look, he's trying to ride the horse out. Are you all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right. Is he? You didn't shoot him, eh? No. He fell off right in front of the stampede. They went right over him. Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Uh, wait here for me, Chester. Uh, I'll go in and tell her. All right, you. I hope she believes me. Don't worry, Mr. Dillon. She will. Uh, uh, I'll be out in a couple of minutes. Evening, Miss Blair. Why, Mr. Dillon, this is a surprise. Uh, do you mind if I step in? Of course I don't mind. Thank you. Friend of Martin's is welcome and... Mr. Dillon, is something wrong? I'm afraid so, Miss Blair. I'm... I've got bad news for you. It's Martin. 
Something's happened to Martin. Yes, ma'am. He's hurt. Uh, it's worse than hurt, ma'am. No. Oh, no. Martin was killed in a fight. Martin dead. If it's any consolation, Miss Blair, he... He died hard with all the odds against him. Martin never asked for favor. He fought a good fight. It, that's something to remember. Martin has always been fine and clean. He was just restless. People didn't understand. No, I suppose they didn't, Miss Blair. But he died on his feet, fighting. I guess that's the way Martin wanted it. Yes, I think so, ma'am. I suppose Miss Markham's here. I wouldn't want to leave you alone. Yes, she's here. I'll be all right, Mr. Dillon. Well, I'll come by and see you in the morning. Uh, if there's anything at all I can do... You've I... been very kind, Mr. Dillon. I'm grateful to you. I'm sorry about this, Miss Blair. Marshal, I'll be leaving tomorrow. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Blair. You all right, Mr. Dillon? I think so, Chester. Did she believe what you told her? Uh, what I told her was true. Mm. Well, there's no harm in letting her think the best of it. Martin paid his debt. No reason his sister should suffer. That's right, Mr. Dillon. Chester, uh, if I remember correctly, Kitty offered us a drink earlier this evening. That's right. Well, let's go. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Sam Edwards, and Ralph Moody. Parley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Eve Arden plays the wise-cracking English teacher Connie Brooks of Madison High Sunday nights on CBS Radio. And when our Miss Brooks calls the role on comedy, there's laughter enough for all takers. Sunday nights and most of these same stations join Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks for high-class classroom comedy. This is Roy Rowan speaking. America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network.
December 13th, 1952. The name of that episode was Post Martin. Like I told you, Carol and I have been watching a lot of the early Gunsmoke television episodes, the ones that were based on these radio scripts, and we saw this one the other day, and it was very good. Very good. Well, I'm getting, I've been watching these so often now. I'm really uh, getting back in tune with the TV show, and they were very good, but boy, <laughs> not, not better than that. That was just an excellent production, especially with that high-quality sound that we have on that episode. More Gunsmoke coming up next week. In every other song that I've heard lately, some fellow gets shot, and his baby and his best friend both die with him, as likely as not. In half of the other songs, some cats crying are ready to die. We've lost most all of our happy people, and I'm wondering why. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. old Marty Robbins down in El Paso a little while back and now Miss Patty Page or one of them is a wearing black and Kathy's clown has Don and Phil where they feel like a faker to die if we keep on losing our slingers like that I'll be the only one you can buy let's think about living let's think about loving let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the popping and the lovey lovey dovey Let's forget about the whining and the crying and the shooting and the dying and the fellow with the switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the popping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying and the shooting and the dying and the fellow with the switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. From 1960, that artist is Bob Lumen, and that was a pretty pretty popular song back there. And I bet you haven't heard that for years and years and years. Nice, uh, nice message. Let's think about living. All right, everybody, it's time to take all of our shows, gather them up, and carry them back into the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. We'll be back in two weeks, and we'll do it all over again. All right, everybody, 
see you next week. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.